Right, good afternoon and welcome to another Loaded webinar, the fourth in our series of uh, hospitality success stories. Today we are arguably with uh, New Zealand's biggest uh, restaurant operator, the Lone Star Joe's Garage Group. We're lucky enough to be joined by Lucy Whelan, one of the original founders of the Lone Star Group. She's been here since day one in 1988 when they opened their first restaurant in Manchester Street. They've now got 26 Lone Star restaurants and 14 Joe's Garages, so easily one of the biggest hospitality businesses in New Zealand and we're going to enjoy unpacking their story over the next uh, hour or so. So sit in and uh, get yourself a cup of coffee and enjoy. L Lucy, obviously um, Lone Star is kind of just one of the, got to be one of the long-term success stories in New Zealand hospitality. I, I mean I just can't think of another large footprint restaurant group that uh, one has, has grown to the size that you guys have, but, but also sort of retained your core DNA and, and culture along the way. So uh, I'm super interested. I, I obviously know quite a bit of the story once you guys got to Queenstown, but um, having grown up there, but, but prior to that in, in 1988, opening up in, in Manchester Street, how did, um, obviously fairly heavily influenced by the Wheeling clan, <laughs> How did that first restaurant come about? Well, it was uh, Tim Whelan, really, who had already been in hospitality, and he moved back to Christchurch and started speaking with Jane, his sister, whose partner was Steve Ward. And they decided that they wanted to have, you know, create a business that um, had, you know, a lot of fun. I, in your previous uh, interview with PJ and Sam, I enjoyed hearing her um, talk about opening the Rumbler saying they wanted a place that was fun and that was essentially um, what happened with the guys in the early days is that so many of the restaurants had been quite um, formal. Uh, people used to go to you know, training schools to learn how to be waiters and stuff but they wanted a much more casual approach and they really enjoyed country and western music so that became a part of it and it was kind of, you know, everyone was calling it Tex-Mex in the early days which of course it's evolved away from that but um, yeah, that was essentially the key in those early days, wanting to have fun, and um, and and I think they did a great job of that at the time. Yeah, yeah, well, and still do, I think. And and it was obviously quite a family-focused, mm, oh, yeah. um, they wanted the fun, but well, maybe just doing it with your family was the fun piece? Yeah, well, yeah, I guess so. We all, you know, Chief and I were going out at the time, and um, we both worked there. We had other jobs, of course, at the time. He was a lawyer and I was a physiotherapist, really, so that's how it really made no sense that we ended up in this career. <laughs> but, um, As all the best hospitality yeah, stories do. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And, you know, it was just, they look, it was really fun. I think that's the key, is that uh, because, you know, I mean, I didn't even want to be a waiter when I was a student. I liked the idea of, you know, doing other things, not yeah, to earn money, yeah. not actually being in hospitality. But once we started working, it was really fun. And it was after sort of a period of time in Manchester Street that the guys decided they wanted to expand. And that's when Chief and I put our hand up and said, okay, well, we'll go in some exciting place for a while and open right. a new business and do that as a temporary measure, we thought at the time. Um, but it's sort of, yeah, that's when in 1991 we went to Queenstown and it, um, yeah. It, it went up another there. level. And so that, the nucleus of it, was it, was it really around um, 
uh, Chiefy and Tim and um, Jane's love for country and Western music. I mean, it ooze, it's always yeah. oozed passion for the for everything that when you go into mm. it to a Lone Star. And it, was that kind of the nucleus, or had they seen other restaurants when they're travelling and thought this is what well, we'd love to do? Or that's an interesting thing because Tim actually had been in Wellington prior, and so he was quite close with the guys who owned Armadillo. And he actually, I think now that you've prompted me, he did um, speak to uh, Matt Hanna and um, the other guy, whose name I've just forgotten temporarily, who um, owned uh, Armadillo at the time and asked them if they wanted to go into business together. And of course they didn't want to, they were quite happy with, they had one in Auckland and one in Wellington at the time and were quite happy with that. So that's when the guys decided they would do, you know, their own version of a Tex-Mex sort uh -huh. of, Business, right. yeah, and so that's interesting. How that came and, out. and Matt Hanna will feature a little bit later in the story as well. Yes, yes, he does. Um, so, in those early days, we were all of you in there working, or did yes. you? Okay, so yeah, you not on a full time capacity. Right. So Jane and Steve and Tim were obviously full time. Okay. Well, as full time as you are when you've got a you know evening business. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they did, and that they had. Look, we had some great friends that. Um, who are now my friends, that were their friends in the early days. Right. Um, a, a classic woman, Jane Delamain, her, Ginge, her name is, and she was a you know, famous Lone Star girl, Manchester Street girl, Susie, fantastic, you know, wonderful staff. I mean, that's a really essentially what has been a core part of um, Lone Star all the way through, is, is having fantastic people that you work with and creating a wonderful brand culture that um, is is really integral to any business, but particularly in hospitality, if you um, miss the brand culture, if that's not coming from the top and you're not actually living it, then you're not going to probably last for very long. Yeah, right. And, the, and those person, those kind of big personalities mm, that, yeah. I mean, almost a lot of, um, a lot of your customers in, in those really early sites we're almost coming for individual waiters and waitresses or yes. um, people behind the bar, weren't they? Because they were such big personalities. Well, and you know, look, the amazing thing is that Basil, who you know, came to work for us the year that our daughter was born, which is 25 years ago now, he's still in Queenstown Lone Star. Yeah. I mean, Shane, who's our business partner here in both Lone Star and Joe's Garage, was the first guy that I employed down in Queenstown many years ago. So. It is absolutely true that if you pick the right people and they love it, you know, they, they get into that brand culture and it becomes a part of their life, then, yeah, we've been really lucky that we've retained those people within the company. Johnny Phillips, who's an owner of Joe's Garage and um, Rickerton, Jacko, uh, Andrew Jackson still works with us, but we've had incredible staff over the years that have really created that essence of Lone Star that um, really is, yeah, has stood the test of time. Yeah, and, and do you think as, because I was, I was thinking this um, this morning, do you think those those big personalities have been what's allowed you to, to get out to the size you are with the number of franchises you are? Because it's sort of amplified the story. It's been a, they've all been a kind of thousand watt light bulb for Chiefy yeah. and um, yeah. Tim and Jane's early passion for, yeah. for putting this all together. Absolutely. I think, you know, in the early days, certainly Christchurch became, you know, one of the famous restaurants here locally because it was one of the newer, more fun restaurants. And then, you know, as we moved to Queenstown, and that was a couple of years before we opened Dunedin, was the next one after that. 
but um, those two businesses, yeah, I think that the, the early stage um, uh, of having those people work with us that then went off and did their own thing potentially, um, that was just, that was the early aspect. I mean, in those days also, we had nothing like Facebook or there was absolutely no, there was only, not even email. So, I mean, our initial, um, you know, point of sale was a cash register. Yeah. So that's how old it was in, in those days. Yeah. And and now looking forward, I mean, your your point where the people have grown the brand for us is absolutely true in that some of our staff became franchisees over the years and, you know, lots of our friends are still some of our very close friends today and they're, they're still advocates of, of the brand. Yeah. I mean, on Facebook, I'm always intrigued when someone, one of our, you know, mates or a staff member or whatever, um, posts something and the number of people when you look into the the comments or whatever who are all ex-staff, it's it's beautiful, you know, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's this massive community that, yeah. that, that sits out there and, and now you do have these platforms where you can see them actually yeah. still engaging even if they're yeah, not involved day to day. Um, and so, like I suspect that wasn't like a plan, <laughs> let's uh, let's um, let's build up these great personalities, and and that'll be great recruiting for franchisees. It was, mm. it was was that just sort of something that happened organically because you were having such great retention with such great people, and mm. and you'd sort of gone Christchurch, Queenstown, and and then you know you had people that were available that you thought that that'd be a great person to run one of our restaurants or yeah in the early days actually the early franchisees were not staff members they right. came a bit later yeah um and i guess it's you know fun attracts fun doesn't it and so when people most of our guests were the ones that probably um or people who other business people who observed the night you know thought right i want a bit of that and i yeah. think that's that's that whole culture of fun. I mean, we are also, and perhaps later as well, um, became very, very engaged in the communities. So we've always supported the sports teams and, you know, local schools and any community um, event. And I think that those, uh, you know, expansion of who your, of where your brand is known, yeah. has also played a part because that kind of exposure gives you, you know, anyone who's interested in a in a business that's you know that can yeah. be good fun but also make them some money it's it's great it's a yeah it's a it's a if they get the balance right once they step into it then mm. they do get the enjoyment of their lifestyle and yes. the, the the kind of building blocks you guys have put in place that mm. actually does allow that fun yeah um, while you're working and I'm interested um, you know from the outside these things always look like that was just a raging success out of the blocks. Mm. And yeah, kind of taking you back to the opening of Manchester and Queenstown, mm. did, did it feel like that, that you just opened the doors and people poured in and um, you know, you're able to pay the bank every month and your creditors every month and your staff every week, no problem? Or, or was it a much bigger grind than that? Yeah, no, there's, look, starting any businesses, there's, you know, there's lots of challenges. And, um, you know, early days, Tim and Steve still talk about having to, you know, juggle finances and whatnot. And then we were in, when we were in Queenstown, I mean, we were dealing all of a sudden with 
seasons, which had never been a feature. And Manchester Street was very much, you know, people arrive at five, you're done by 10 o'clock at night, close the kitchen, all very smooth, you know, you knew right. day to day. You had your operating sudden, window. <laughs> yeah, we got to Queenstown. And it was, you know, this was back in the day when there were seasons in Queenstown where there was, you know, shoulder periods in April and May that were just dead. And same with November, you know. In fact, it was probably October and November and some of December until post-Christmas rush occurred. And so that variance of um, needing to, you know, um, get pl plenty of staff and train them so that they are upskilled enough to cope with heathingly busy days post-Christmas yes, yes, um, yeah. was, was a massive challenge. Yeah, so you were, in, you were going from, a, in those days, a school holiday period right at the end of winter, which was almost the busiest two mm. weeks of the year, to yes. nothing the following week. Yeah, yeah. And... And look, to be fair, we were fortunate that we were we were never really nothing because we were so well supported in the community. And Queenstown in those days also didn't have the number of restaurants that it has today. Yeah. So we were really fortunate that um, locals supported us very well and, and we never did no meals in the night or yeah. any, any of those scary things that I have heard you know, happens sometimes still. In a shoulder um, season in a tourism town. Yeah. yeah, and you know, I think some of our quietest nights were, you know, well probably down to, I don't know, 20 maybe, but that was very rare. You know, we were pretty lucky. Um, so so having said that, there's always problems when you are um, a novice in, in the industry. And yes, of course, we had lots of times where we were juggling finances and, you know, working out um, what what sort of to do next. Yeah, and what, so what were some of the big learnings that kind of came out of, I guess, by the time you've done two restaurants, um, yourselves um, as the, the initial founders over sort of that 88 to 93 period. When did Dunedin open? 93. 93, and they were your first franchisee? Yes. Right, so, and at, and at that point had you decided, okay, that there's something really here, mm. we do want to franchise this and, and take it wider, or was it still a step-by-step, -step or yeah, no. were you starting to... Uh, put things up in lights in terms of where you yeah, wanted to take it? I think so, because Dunedin, when Dunedin opened, that was, you know, a great success too. Um, and so we were at that time looking for, you know, further rollout. And that was when, um, it was actually in and around that time that the, um, some of the team became a part of the franchise team. So Shane and Johnny and Jack all bought shares in the franchise company and that's when we wanted to retain our really good people for, uh, right. for so, the franchise company. Because so, in the early days, with just the two cafes, yeah. um, there wasn't the franchise company initially, of course, so we had just two independent um, cafes owned by the same people. Right, um, right. So you actually, in terms of retaining those early kind of great people, you brought them on to the franchise company yes. quite early, even as early as having three sites. Yes. They started to take a franchise role. Yes. Right, right, which is quite a brave move, probably looking at the time, it probably seemed sensible, but looking back, it was quite a brave move. Well, I mean, I suppose in retrospect, you know, there's some companies that would keep their shareholding tight, but we believed in, you know, our, our people were what were helping us make this brand a success. So we believed in you know, bringing them on board and sharing in the um, in the profits and stuff with them, which has obviously been great for us and them over the years. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's been a it's been a good choice. Yeah, and then from from Dunedin out to how many restaurants is it today? 
We're 40 altogether with both brands, yeah. but there's 26 Lone Stars and out to, out to 26. So was there kind of a, was there a real burst at some point where you mm. put on a lot of restaurants or has it been well, since 93 and today, you know, open a couple of restaurants each year? Or how's, yeah. how's that progression kind of worked? It's sort of been some, uh, it's been pretty consistent to be fair. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there've been years that were more, that probably a few years in a row that was the growth was slower and then we've had some years we've opened three in a year yeah so it's been a bit like that and of course you know over that period of time I mean we're you know 32 years this year and mm. we've closed some too mm -hmm. you know and this is the cycle of business isn't it yeah and talking about the culture and and who we are as uh, as Lone Star owners um, we're still working in the business I mean it's in a different capacity today but yeah. we you know the, the owner operators who have done incredibly well are the people that love it and are in their businesses doing incredibly well and, and you know perpetuating that beautiful brand culture where they look after their staff and their suppliers and their guests and you know and make sure that all those things work in synergy and, yeah. and as you said earlier follow um, what our particular you know core values are yeah so. yeah, yeah I'd love to hear more about uh, those franchisees that have really succeeded under your model um, because like you say you're not going to hit every franchisee is not going to hit it for six and you're not going to get it perfect but I'd love I mean as you're growing to 26 Lone Stars and obviously bringing the, the Joes on as well um, to kind of get your feel for the franchisees that that really have done done well out of it and what separated them from the ones that never quite never quite got it. <laughs> well, I think you know, if, simplistically, it's the ones that actually love it. You know, mm -hmm. it's the ones that actually enjoy spending time with guests and and you know do follow systems to train their staff the way they're supposed to. You know, I mean, look, I think we all know hospitality is not rocket science. Yeah. But there are certain things that you must do if you want to make sure that your guests are feeling valued and getting the opportunity to buy what they want to buy. Yeah. Um, so have, teaching good sales techniques and making sure that, um, I, I mean, of course, it's not all about the front end, is yeah. it? You know, I mean, it's about making sure that your financials are good and you're, you know, you're taking care of front of house and back of house. And, um, you know, the ones that have probably done incredibly well are good at that, at both. At both. At both, at yeah. making sure that their guests are well looked after, that they're engaging with their community, that they are managing their, you know, their overheads, cost of goods, wages, and making sure that the whole thing works well, and yeah. um, and you know, need having the people around them that can help support them do that because it is a big job, really, yeah. isn't it? I mean, yeah. it's, it's a big job running a house. It's not a hard job. It's just a big job. It just happens to be that there's a thousand balls in the air and yes. moving parts, and yes. and in, until you've experienced it, you can't mm. quite believe um, how often the phone rings and yeah. uh, how many people want a piece of your time and and the layers of people. You yeah. know, the layers of you know your guests first of all, and your staff and your suppliers, and you know the management and and yourselves, and how that all fits in together. I think is the challenge because you know if we were dealing, I've often said to the to our um, people, you know, if we were dealing with robots, this would be so easy. Yeah. But when you're actually dealing with people who have off days and great days and, you know, various um, some things going on. Yeah, um, different things going on in their yeah. life, then it's 
super challenging to, to manage that, particularly if you're having a bad day yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah you've got to manage yourself first too. Um, so, and, and how did that, uh, I imagine you almost don't even explain it like that, the way you work, but with the franchisor-franchisee relationship, mm. was that, again, is that something that you've, you guys have just kind of arrived at organically, how you work in with the site, or is that quite... Um, kind of stipulated exactly what franchise um, company will do and exactly what's expected of the franchisee. How have you kind of got the balance there? Well, look, we have a pretty comprehensive manual that yeah. um, lays everything out, and yeah. you know, and all of that stuff is discussed in the manual. What our responsibilities are, what their responsibilities are, and and everything to do with culture and training and you know KPIs, the whole lot. Um, but. I guess you know franchising is one of those um, challenging businesses. You know, it, it's uh, it has this. Well, there's actually a guy called Greg Nathan that we follow who um, is out of Australia, and he is an expert in the psychology of franchising. Right. And I think it's true to say that uh, franchise fees are frequently viewed as a tax. Right. <laughs> yeah. So rather than, you know, in the early stages, there's six stages of franchising. And so in the early stages, when um, people are super excited to get involved with the brand that they've loved since they were a child or whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, that's the glee stage. And look, it goes from glee finally to we, but there's a few other stages in between, like um, see, fee, me. And the me stage is when, you know, it shifts from this wonderful brand that I love those guys and I had fun when I used to go there and to, hey, this is actually my business and I don't know why they're telling me to do it this way. And, you know, so that, that, this is the challenge with franchising, really. And, um, and it's not to say that everyone goes into all of those stages, but it's quite normal. And I think we are pretty good at, um, you know, trying to work with people so that they, you know, agree um, to try and work with us mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because when you do get someone who is uh, at the stage where they just can't stand you anymore yeah. <laughs> yeah. and that has unfortunately happened yeah. it's really unfortunate because you know it would be great if you could go to mediation and work it all out and say hey look I think you're forgetting the side that we've brought to the part it's just inevitable sometimes yeah, yeah. and you're managing and, a lot of relationships right as a franchisor yeah and I think part of it you know in all honesty is perhaps um, the naivety that some of these people have gone in with you know thinking that the stage that they are in life um, or whatever it might be I'm not sure but the point being their expectations once they were in didn't hit it for themselves psychologically so yeah. they end up withdrawing from the business they're not there as frequently they do everything that that our ops manual would tell them not to do yeah but when we point that out it's never met with a hey that's a good point I better get in there more often it's generally um, you know, and look, as I said, this is not very many people, but there, have, there certainly has been some um, some people that we have not managed to, you know. It hasn't worked out successfully for, no. for either party. No. <laughs> yeah, and I suppose that is a difference, isn't it? If, if between a, I've never thought of it this way, but in terms of a, a, a single site, you're opening your own business first, mm. moving into a franchise. If something's not going well in a single site and you're the, the sole owner, really despite the fact you might try you don't have anyone else to blame mm. but in a in a franchise situation you've you've ultimately can give yourself a bit of an out mm. by saying hey it's your it's the franchisor's fault I'm not being successful here 
Yeah, right. So, um, so you've you, you kind of you, it sounds like you've got some some structure in terms of understanding where any particular franchisee is at, um, and I'm sure there's there's ways and means that you then choose to work or, or will work with them depending on on where that that happens to be. Do, does the 80-20 rule apply? Do you end up spending 80% of your time on 20% of franchisees that their business isn't going well? Or have you kind of managed to, you know, that's always the risk with any hospitality group, franchised or otherwise, that they're putting, pouring all their time into the sites that aren't performing well, that they, they can't keep their eye on the ones that are going great, where actually there might be even more opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. And look, I think that is often the case. Mm. You know, I think that percentage is probably about right and um, having said that the people who are not needing as much attention the 80 percent are quite happy with that you mm. know I mean it's not that they are knocking on our door saying come and help me because yeah. if they're following the manual and they've actually had we have structured meetings right through the year and and site visits and all sorts you know regular yeah. KPI catch-ups and whatnot so you know when that um, uh, with those touch points along the way, there's plenty of opportunity to actually, um, you know, vent either way yeah, and yeah. and work through some solutions. And, and I think that actually is what um, becomes uh, this, the, the people who participate in those things well mm -hmm. don't really need any more. Yeah, so, and probably really enjoy the freedom. Yes, yeah. yeah, I think so. You know, and we're, I mean, we like to think of ourselves as a pretty... Um, flexible franchise company, both yeah. brands. I mean, we are, there's, you know, there's, um, well, we hear stories now that we have a couple of McDonald's franchisees who yeah. are part of the community um, that tell us this, the very rigid responses to certain things if you're not performing in yeah. larger franchise companies, whereas we are, we tend to work with people much more so than um, having a blanket rule that, you know, if you're doing something wrong, you will get a you know yeah. a breach notice that's we don't really do that very often sure. I mean there might have been a couple of years but that's not common where we would send them a breach notice for something when they're not actually working within the parameters of yeah so it's exploring kind of always to support and mm, yes, um, work together much. on it rather than yeah. strict policy absolutely and help up where you can yeah sure yeah. sure um and look I imagine going from three to 26 <laughs> There's, there's got to be some kind of bottlenecks in there or some points where, you know, all that growth, like, was going ahead of actually everyone's capability or yes, is there oh some yeah. times you look back and go, man, I, I just, I can't believe we got through that. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, Chief and I talk about that regularly. Sometimes we go, wow. <laughs> yeah. We'll probably look back on this in the future and go, how the hell did we do that? Because, you know, we came from, as I said, different backgrounds, but also... There wasn't technology in our days. There were no yeah. cell phones. There was no, you know, I mean, all the reporting and stuff now. With, you know, I mean, I think it's only relatively recently that I've taught Chief how to copy and paste. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's lots of stuff that that you know. And look, Tim, I'm sure he won't mind me telling you, is 66. You know, so it, when you've been around for a long time, there's certain things that. Um, you know, us older people are not as good at as the young ones, but yeah. we've got some incredible staff here who yeah. are so smart, you know, so smart with social media and everything, that all the new technology. I mean, it's that's what evolution is, isn't it? It's yeah. keeping on top yeah. of those yeah. things yeah. and making sure that you are actually moving with the times and, and embracing 
all of the technology and, and um, any business aspect that can improve your business. So, and we like to think that we're sort of market leaders really in, in a lot of that stuff. I mean, we got one of the best apps um, in hospitality. It was actually, you know, went from a um, conference up in Dubai that I met these guys who had this wonderful um, app and, and that has worked, a loyalty app that's worked very well for us. But there's also, you know, um, another system that we use where you can do all your HR and training and um, any operational visits through there and mystery shops and so you know yeah. we lots of the companies here use it but you know, we, we think we'll you've been early adopters of that yeah, you were we certainly did. early adopters in our case and loaded yeah well, um, that's right loaded's been great for us and um, that's a yeah I mean it's quite an interesting point as well with I always look at franchise groups and you're certainly one of the of significant size in New Zealand when when there is kind of change that you're trying to make across um, such a large network. What have been some of the things that you've learned over the years that has made that change easier or, um, you know, where you've been able to see the change you want and the outcome you want and I suspect that over time you guys have got a lot kind of refined about how you go about that? Yes, I'm not sure it's always as smooth as it could be. <laughs> um, look, I think it's you know just making sure that we've got enough people who can you know who can actually assist with teaching anything that's new and training. We tend to train a person in the store, yeah, and make sure that they're the advocate for whatever the new technology is. Yeah, um, you know that's frequently the way the technology companies want it to. They'll teach one or two of us, and then we go out and and teach whatever it needs to be so amplify it out yeah and look I guess you know we are also in the same situation with lots of our franchisees are not necessarily that technologically um, interested yeah so so that can be a challenge yeah so you've got to be pretty careful and and what and what you've got to be quite selective and what you mm. do decide to Yes. to move to it's not like you can just keep throwing no, new right. concepts every month and expect that franchisees aren't going to have some kickback yeah, yeah yeah exactly and you know and there's nothing wrong with training their people to do it yeah and as long as their people train the next one when someone moves on to do it correctly yeah but i agree with you i think and certainly in a business like ours we would much rather they spend time at the front end making sure that their guests are having the best time mm. and not worrying about you know what's going on in the office because yeah. without you know without your guests without the people who actually um, support your business then there's not a lot you're not going to be counting a lot out the back if you um, don't have the people coming in the front door yeah yeah so so, so you so you're really trying to you've really got quite a good filter from from the head office level of saying is this going to take our mm. our franchisees or their managers or their good people away from from the guests or give them more time with their guests. Yes, and that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. okay, okay. Yeah. So, and then because you weren't busy enough and um, and there wasn't enough going on, you, you also embarked on this um, this Joe's journey, which mm-hmm. um, Matt and Kath Hanna had started in, um, in Queenstown and I had no idea about the previous reference to Matt in, yes. in Wellington. Um, I wasn't aware of that at all. So, mm-hmm. so how, did the, how did the Joe's opportunity come about? Well, it was when Matt and Kath had sold it, actually, to um, Michael Hill and Johnny Martin. Yep. And um, 
you know, there'd been obviously people that we had known in Queenstown and, and yeah. um, Johnny approached Chief and said, look, you know, would you help us to franchise this business? And we, of course, said, yeah, that'd be great. We'd love to. We were, you know, daily visitors of Joe's when we lived in Queenstown. Yeah. And it was when we were moving back to Christchurch. So we knew that that was going to be quite an easy um, thing to take on when we were back in the head office. I don't think that uh, Chief and I probably would have done that on our own if we were still in Queenstown. So sure, was, if you were still operating your own restaurant as well as trying to undertake yeah, Joe's. So it, it was kind of a... It was great. It was great timing. The timing, yeah. the timing is with lots of these things was right. Yeah, and yeah. we had the infrastructure. So, yeah. you know, so that was because when you start any, um, you know, if you have a brand and then you're looking to franchise, there's quite a lag before, you know, you actually start to make any money and, and you start to build your systems well. Mm. Um, so there was definitely a lot of input required for, um getting the next few Joes up and running after that first, you know, Yeah, so you're in there doing you're in there doing the heavy lifting again. Mm. Yeah, we were. Is it a little bit like having a child? You forget <laughs> like the, the uh, how difficult the early days are and if you kind of your memory hadn't forgotten all the difficult bits you might not have done it or was it a lot easier the second time around? I think the second time around was probably um, easier in that we had some structure to work from. Yeah. So we already had an ops manual and we already had you know a lot of our systems, we had yeah. our training and all that sort of sussed. Yeah. So you know it was it was not starting from scratch for us because we had already built that with Lone Star. Mm. But it's more the fact that you know one store is just one store. Your franchise fee of one store is not really an income, mm. in, you know, of any significance. So you yeah. need to get to some critical mass before you're actually going to be able to take on new staff and build your own systems, you yeah. know, or, or add any new technology and things that cost money yeah. um, into that mix. So yeah, it was it was a fair amount of time in the early days. Before yeah, right. And that became a a viable business really. So you did feel like you had to put the foot down relatively quickly so yeah. that you're not just forever mm. making investment into yes. um, the, the head office structure or the franchise all structure mm. and the, the quicker you get there so long as it's in a quality way yes. then... Yeah and look to be fair Joe's has actually been a reasonably slow progression yeah. and, and that's also partly because there have been quite a few crises that have happened in that yeah, time. Yeah. I mean we had So what year did you start the start the Joe's? Um, we were well it was when we came back here so 2007. Right right and An we opened Hereford to... Street 2007 right and then of course it was only you know 2008 we were fairly in the thick of GFC. Well, yeah, that was GFC, yeah. but then the you know and you had an earthquake. yeah, and yeah. and the Joes in Hereford Street collapsed. So, right. So and then the whole of the city was shut down, including our office, which was down in Manchester Street. So you know it was it was a major setback at that time for us, really. And we were lucky that we got Wellington up and running. You know, I mean, we had a few on the go, but um, I think we got to sort of seven Joes garages within the first probably five years, and then had a bit of a lull before mm -hmm. we've opened um, the remaining eight in the next. And now you've got a, a you're doing some cross franchising where yeah. owners will have a Lone Star and a Joe's. How's that worked? It's yeah, the collab. Yeah, yeah. that's been um, this was sort of one of the things that, you know, Chiefy actually Chief and I sort of talked about on one of our walks during um, lockdown that, you know, because some of the Lone Star meals are so famous. Yeah. Um, 
that it would be really interesting to see if we could actually put it into another brand and and because these meals are brands within themselves yeah they're trademark brands you know right. and so um we wondered how that would work and one of our um it was Rangiora Joe's actually who's an ex Lone Star chef and he owned Lone Star and Rotorua at one point right um and so we sort of said how would you feel about that and he was really keen and so it's been going now for a few weeks and it's been Really positive, actually. Right. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. There's the work. The way it works is that there's no Lone Star in Rangiora. Right. So you know, because there's no Lone Star there, then we're not sort of encroaching on anyone else's territory because that would be. I see. A bit, yeah. You know, right. We, we right. Really... It allows you to extend your Joe's yeah. hours and and. Mm. Okay. That Joe's is open. Most of the Joe's garages, to be fair, are open night anyway. Yeah. Um, but it's just to add a slightly different option for you know Lone Star meals are slightly more expensive than Joe's meals and um, and as I said they're famous so it's just adding another dimension for that particular business owner. Yeah it's funny isn't it I think I think the one thing that we have seen in hospitality this year is people have things that they might have been scared to try or thought oh, I'm not sure how that will you know can we see downside to that or is, is the risks too high to, to go and try it. People are going, <laughs> if there's any time to try it, let's do it now. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I mean, this is the thing, isn't it? When everything's on the table, then give it a go. Or you're not going to do it any other time, are you? So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and and how does how does does it work day to day for, for yourself and Chiefy and Tim now? Um, how, how do your roles look? Um, quite busy. <laughs> still quite busy? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that so you're not going to throw out to um, prospective um, French budding franchisors out there that <laughs> get through your first five get through your first five years and um, and it's all uh, <laughs> yeah. five hour work weeks. Well, look, there's been lots and lots of discussion. I think one of the things you know, which all successful business people I think know, is that the job has not done until it's done. So if you have a week that you know is slightly less busy, it means that you know there's slightly less on for whatever reason that might be. Yeah. But, you know, you just have to keep working until the job's done, don't you really? And there's, as we discussed before this interview started, there's always something new to be worked on. There's always a new idea or a, some refinement of a system or, a, you know, whatever it might be that, you know, chasing the... And we look, we all have quite distinct roles in here. So if it's a new product that we're looking at, then you know our procurement guys will be yeah. sussing that out. I mean, we've also just, I don't know whether you know, but we've also just launched all the Lone Star sources into the supermarket. Oh, right, I didn't know that. So, yeah. Right, so, so there's been another project underway there. Yeah. And, and so uh, the original owners, are you sort of um, sprinkled across all of these interesting areas, helping out, kind of keeping the kind of brand on track or the you know general nucleus of what you're all about or are you quite specific in, in, in what you're focused on? Yeah, we have quite specific roles. Right. Yeah. So yeah, so I I mean I tend to do more Joe's these days. Yeah. I tend to work with whoever the whatever the brands are sort of technology based. Yeah. And then we have all our, our very clever young people who who work those things. Right. Um, but I still do lots of the operations for Joe's as well, right. and um, and quite a lot of stuff, KPIs and all sorts of stuff as well. But yeah. but I don't tend to do much else for Lone Star at the moment. Chief does, you know, legal, and he's sort of brand for Lone Star, and um, any and you know heavily involved in all the community stuff that we do. 
Steve does a lot of the marketing. He's based in Auckland now, so he right. does a lot of the marketing. Tim does lots of the food stuff. Shane is new business and um, and helps out with procurement. We have a very uh, good procurement guy, Gerhard Zitzenbacher, who's, yeah. who's amazing. And um, so Shane does some of that and does lots of the beverage deals and things too. And Andrew Jackson, who's still with us, he does lots of the beverage stuff. So we're all quite, um, all have our distinct areas that we And is that in. sort of, is, is everyone just ended up in their natural area or have you sort of got a whiteboard and said, right? I think, I think it's just evolved that yeah. way, you know, yeah. what your interests have been and um, yeah. And I think it's a it's what, been a natural what needs sort of... what needs doing and and who's good at it and yeah. and what they enjoy exactly yeah who's the right person for the role so it's it's worked out pretty well I think yeah yeah well the um, the outcome suggests it's worked really well well yeah hopefully <laughs> and um, and uh, like focusing in on twenty twenty like you're obviously still really close to you know a lot of your key employees and these these franchisees. Um, particularly at Joe's, obviously. Okay. Like, has there been a fair variation across the franchisees and how hard they've been affected? At the moment. Yeah, in this like, well, just over this uh, yeah, over this COVID, COVID period of. Yeah, uh, um, there have been different challenges for yeah for the different businesses, but look, to be fair, most of them are doing okay now. Yeah. In that, in the early, I mean, look, we've got lots of Lone Stars in Auckland, so that was really unfortunate when they went into the second lockdown. Yeah. We've only got one Joe's garage up there at the moment, um, but that was a challenge. And most of them, I mean, I think the part that has was sort of terrifying but nice about lockdown is that it actually gave hospital people who never have a break a time to actually have a break. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. Um, and engage in some of the things they've been thinking about for a long yeah. time as the evidence we saw it loaded is That's right. suddenly, hey, can you teach us this? Can we try this? Can yes. you learn this? So. Yeah, and so for them, it wasn't a, it wasn't a proper break because as you say, it was time to work on the other things. Yeah. And I think we were all in that situation where, you know, we managed to get, we hadn't previously had um, any online ordering, so we got that sorted. Right. Um, and there was lots of little projects, but, but I think the franchisees quite enjoyed not having to be in their cafe every day yeah. so that they could work on those things. And then coming back into, you know, level three and level two, level three, not every single um, Lone Star and Joe's opened, mm -hmm. but the ones that did, did pretty well. And then, um, yeah, it was, you know, from going from a situation where there would have been some businesses seriously challenged and wondering yeah. whether they were going to come out of it, they ended up doing, you know, probably better than they had expected, I guess. So. Yeah, so it's followed the, the general trend of uh, yeah. all of us either in hospitality or supplying hospitality thinking, mm. what's this going to look like in three months? <laughs> Are we going to have customers right. um, to being, you know, tentatively surprisingly good <laughs> yes yeah that's yeah. right so and and look different businesses as i said have been more impacted than the others but but on the whole we've been pretty fortunate i, I think one of the things that we've always discussed is that because we've been around for a long time and because we are value brands you know we've always been good value for money mm -hmm. um that our our guests have responded well to that you know yeah. and we've actually noticed that in other financial crisis time where um, people do tend to come to the places that they know and love. The rock solid. Yeah, and we yeah. have the, you know, we have our loyalty app, which is quite generous in the rewards. Yeah. And, and we're engaged in our community where we are always supporting people. So 
they those things don't change no they yeah. actually support you back in those times of yeah. need, which yeah. is you know which we've been very grateful for and, and what what would you think of the as the franchisor or as a even if we were just to focus in at the at the restaurant level what what are the biggest changes that have happened since you first started what is the major differences that have occurred and and how you've got to run a restaurant to how you may have been able to 20 years ago yeah the compliance compliance yeah <laughs> i mean it is just, <laughs> oh god yeah i mean it's just there's so much really isn't there yeah. that, you know from you know the early days as i said when we had the cash register and if we were having if we knew we were anticipating a quiet month or week or whatever i mean we'd just have a party in queenstown right we'd just invite everyone to a party and you'd have a huge night yeah and it would be tied you over yeah it would have yeah. tied you over you know i mean that kind of thing can't happen these days because mm. there's so many places but there's mm. also so many rules mm. now which mm. you know is for the greater good but um it makes those one-off big nights way more challenging yeah yeah <laughs> and um yeah and the compliance you know health and safety and food safety and all of those kinds of things which were always there mm. it's just that now there's a lot more paperwork around it yeah or, or not paperwork the level if of you're bureaucracy's using. increased quite yeah. a lot on them yeah yeah and that's part of it too you know we have we use safe food pro as our um, food safety app yeah and um you know it and that becomes you know even though that's great for your compliance it's also another thing that the staff have to learn. Yeah. Which, um, another another thing that staff have to learn, the, another thing that someone has to, to manage to hold accountable to. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Right. And, so and, that. and I imagine you go, imagine you, because you're so customer focused and because you love your owners and you're senior people spending so much time with your customers, I, I imagine you've talked a lot about how you do that, how you bring these things in while making sure the customers still first and foremost yes um, yeah. yes that's a challenge <laughs> <laughs> any great ideas there for the well i think it's just look as we said earlier it's really getting your people on board with it so if they understand the benefits of mm. whatever this new technology or system is going to be then they will make an effort to to learn it and see the reward from from using it so I guess that's it's really about engagement, isn't it, with your with your people? Yeah, and I guess the the I guess the more boring or the more mundane those things are, the, the harder to mm. to sort of drive that engagement from chefs who would rather be trying out new dishes or yeah. bartenders who'd be mm. rather trying out a new cocktail. Yeah. Um, but there's got to be an understanding that if it doesn't happen then we can't do those things at all yes. yeah, <laughs> we can't true. do those fun things yeah um but but that's not a, it's not a, always an easy sales pitch to them no yeah that is not always easy yeah yeah <laughs> okay and i'm sure you get a lot of people given kind of where you guys have ended up in in the franchising um game coming to you and um asking about franchising and whether they should and whether they shouldn't and um, or if they're already gone down that track you know what they need to be focused on for, for, for people who who have had success with with early sites um, and are considering franchising as a way of growing their business what what's the sort of advice you you do give them about those early days well look there's 
yeah, there's really three things, I guess, that are most important if you're franchising, and that is to make sure that your franchisees are profitable. Mm -hmm. So making sure that your model is a model that will work mm. if they follow the system. Yeah. And then making sure that they have a great attitude so that they are actually the right people, picking mm. the right people and... Um, you know, and then making sure that your franchisees engage with the community, with your with the other franchise community. So, if you are a person who can lead that mm -hmm. um, in franchising, and and then also understand that no matter how wonderful the people you pick are, at some point, going to challenge you. Mm -hmm. So you you must. Um, and look, we love that. You, you know, you. We always say uh, feedback is the breakfast of champions. You know, you need the feedback, and, and some of our franchisees have actually given um, the brand some of the best ideas. So it's right. not that you don't want the feedback, but when it is um, challenging, you have to really take a good look at yourself. Yeah. And and that's you know it is something that I think has been um, yeah very valuable to to us as a group and i think is very valuable to anyone who's thinking about franchising is that when you think you've got it right because you've been very successful yourselves time changes and there will be things that come up mm -hmm. that you do need to look but at other again. people are seeing that yeah that you might have blinkers on for yeah. whatever reason totally yeah so and that is helpful it doesn't always um in, in some instances, it won't always feel helpful initially, but it yeah. is helpful to actually take a good look at yourself and see if you are actually doing the best by your franchisees and your guests primarily, um, and making sure that uh, you are reviewing your processes all the time so that you are, you know, staying providing fresh. those franchisees the, the value they need out of That's the right. out of the system. Yeah. And just diving into point two there around getting the right franchisees. You, you, you did talk to the fact that, you know, some of these great staff members have gone on to be franchisees, which is, you know, must be quite a cool path to take people down. But, but when you're bringing someone in totally fresh from outside, mm -hmm. how does that work? Um, you know, is that a gut instinct thing? Is that a checklist thing? Is that a yeah. psychoanalysis? Um, a bit of, a bit <laughs> of all of those things. How does that work for you when you're... Well, we do, you know, and in the early days, we really didn't, we were not very good at that. You yeah. know, we've made some mistakes over sure. the years. And so, you know, we now do an initial competency test, which is just, you know, asking someone to self-evaluate as to why they think they would be a great franchisee. Mm -hmm. And then we go through that with them. Um, and then we do psychometric testing now. So, and that can occasionally throw up some red flags. Right. But as long, and it depends on and whether you, And you know, you understand now the profile of a, of a good franchisee that works in well with your franchise community? Yeah, I yeah. think so. I think, you know, as I said, the, if it's a couple, yeah. then you can have some red flags with one and hopefully that, that'll be moderated a little bit. But yeah. look, the key really is picking the people who have the enthusiasm and the passion to actually work hard, a great work ethic, and, and that is revealed. Yeah. You know, um, and because the system can be taught, but if you don't actually enjoy being in a cafe in the evenings yeah. and you're not going to actually drive the sales and, and make sure that your your staff are doing the right thing by your guests, then you know, you're not gonna be a good person in hospitality. Yeah. And I think that's the key is actually making sure that when you are selecting people, you're selecting people who are incredibly passionate about it. And it doesn't have to be I mean most restaurateurs go into restaurants because they're passionate about the food. Yeah. So you know, business doesn't have to always be I mean obviously we've always 
prided ourselves on using exceptional, you know, um, food items and making sure that our meals are produced very well. But we are not pretending to be fine dining. Yeah, you know, we are yeah, yeah. good, great quality Kiwi food. Yeah, um, so you're, you're, you're try, trying to find those people who are, who are passionate about just giving someone an all-round great, great experience so yeah. that they go, they go home having received a, a whole lot of value and a, basically a good time. Yeah, exactly, yeah. a great time, a great yeah. night out. And, and also um, having enough business acumen that they will understand what the big picture of the business look like yeah. looks like as well yeah so. yeah and do you find um right through this series of interviews um it's a particular interest of mine is the you know the creative hospitality operator with fabulous ideas and um and you know produces a lot of these hospitality experiences that as a customer are so wonderful mm-hmm. um but often or at least historically has left behind the good business part (laughs) and so they've been able to provide you these fabulous hospitality experiences for a few years (laughs) and then they've not been around because they haven't been able to survive so do you kind of have the idea in your head of where that that nice balance sits for you at Lone Star and Joe's or is that a constant kind of work on or well I think you know I think we probably stressed that reasonably well in the beginning. Mm. You know, we are pretty focused on ensuring that our franchisees are profitable. Yeah. Now, there will always be things that crop up. You know, yeah. I mean, if there's an earthquake or a, you know, Wellington had an earthquake too. So, I mean, that building was shut down for some time. I mean, it, there's always challenges that are going to occur. Yeah. Um, but we are pretty good at, um, you know, observing if our franchisees are wanting to spend money on what would be considered perhaps frivolous yeah yeah <laughs> and go that might not be a great idea having Gently said that advising. We, yeah, yeah having said that we are very much um into you love care and generosity and in, in all of our um approaches with our with our guests so mm-hmm. so guests tend to want you know the good quality fare that they're used to they want the good time and sometimes they will want discounting you see so the discounting aspect can become a problem. Yeah. And we would much rather reward, you know, reward guests with uh, value to come back and, yeah. you know, hence, you know, dollars on their app or gifts on their app, um, vouchers to, you know, for whatever it might be in the community. And the other things that um, I guess some of our franchisees even uh who are heavily business focused are not always keen on that but there is always the balance between you know the cost of something and the value and we truly believe that the value of giving to your guests is um, much more important than what the cost of a voucher would be sure sure and 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 what you're saying is in these difficult periods that's when you see that come home to roost as well right that that when you've shown people true um, value and the love, care, generosity, which I, I've never heard you put it in those three words, but when you say it, it's exactly what Lone Star and Joe's has always been about. Mm. Um, and uh, that, that people also want to look after you a, a, and those franchisees when they get the opportunity. Yeah, that's yeah. essentially, yeah, that's it. Okay, well, I think um, there's so many great little morsels in there, Lucy. Uh, um, you're the first franchisor I've spoken to during this webinar series and um, 
man, if I was looking at franchising, there's, uh, you'd be the first person I'd be getting on the, the phone to and trying to shout a coffee. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, thanks so much. I mean, I, I, there's, I think there's, we've tried to unpack quite a lot in quite a short time, but um, it's been really fun to, yeah, no, to uh, hear more in detail exactly um, how that Lone Star story unfolded. Yeah, thank you. That's been great. Okay. Thanks so much for joining us today and tune in next time as we hunt down our next hospitality success story. And remember, if you're looking for a great place to run your hospitality business from, check us out at www.loadedreports.com. We'd love to help you save a ton of money and run your hospitality business a whole lot easier. Thank you.